Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll pick up at verse 10 and go through verse 12. This is Paul writing to Timothy. So the you in the first part is to Timothy. And then beyond Timothy, obviously, to the church that Timothy was at. And beyond that, to all the churches uh, since then that um, have believed in the inerrant word of God. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As is Paul's pattern in uh, his writing, he opposes what's evil and then he turns and commands what is right. He, He renounces what's evil and then commends what's good. He's been warning Pastor Timothy, right, about false teachers and their evil ways. Last week we looked at the technique of those false teachers. Remember, they they go after the weaker vessels, capturing the hearts and minds of women. Now the Apostle Paul sets forward the alternate, what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ rather than to be a servant of the devil. And he encourages Timothy by beginning with these words, you, however, have followed my teaching. You, however, that adversative there, That shows that this isn't the way you've gone, Timothy. You've gone this way. And um, unlike those evil magicians, remember we talked about Janus and Jambres who opposed Moses and were examples of wickedness. Timothy has imitated Paul as Paul has been imitating Jesus Christ. And that's the first point I want to make is imitation. Imitation is important in the Christian life. Uh, following an example, apprenticing in behavior, right? Apprenticing in um, holy life. That's the way of Christians. We submit ourselves to those who are mature and we imitate their faith. That, that is the way it's supposed to work. Sometimes before we even feel the need of or recognize the importance of something, we simply need to imitate that's something. We need to imitate it. Imitate those who are faithful. And after a time, you begin to realize that um, you begin to see the spiritual importance of a particular action. Children, um, you've seen your parents reading the Bible each morning, hopefully, or praying each morning. That's something you should take up and imitate. You may not fully understand the importance of it. You haven't suffered much in this life. But there will come a time when when it will be so critical for you to 
nourish yourself in the morning on the word of God. So do the same. You've seen, you've seen your parents, children, make a priority of the Lord's Day, right? Well, do, do the same. You've seen them pray. Do the same. You've seen them repent, right? They've had to come to you and say, you know, I was, I was really harsh in what I said. Or, son, I should not have hit you in the face, right? And, and you, you repent and you ask for forgiveness. Do the same. Imitate their faith and you will find that that faith becomes your own. That's how we learn the faith. That's how the faith settles in. It's through imitation, right? Um, we certainly use imitation in that way to train our children intellectually, right? We do that. We have them memorize. We have them recite. We have them recite after us, right? Imitate the way that I'm doing this. It's more important that we give our children an example and insist that they imitate our faith when it comes to spiritual development. What are, what's, what's the alternative? Well, the alternative would be neglect your children's spiritual life until they produce their own devotion without being provoked, just neglect them. If it's not imitation, right, just neglect them until somehow spontaneously they, they form their own devotional life, and, and that's, that's foolish. Um, Jesus had the apostles follow him around and do as he did um, for three years. And so, um, but people often think that imitation is somehow disingenuous. It's not sincere, right? And so they, they really won't call somebody to imitate. Um, but Paul's doing it all the time. He calls the Corinthian church, imitate me. Well, is it, Paul, isn't it supposed to come from the heart? Isn't it supposed to be, you know, well, yes, it is supposed to come from the heart. But it starts by just being done, right? Um. Listen to these scriptures. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall learn, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. So there's a negative example. When they go into the land of the Canaanites, don't imitate what they're doing. Be godly. Imitate godliness. Imitate your elders, right? But don't imitate the detestable things of the nations. Why? Because imitation leads to devotion, right? And if you imitate what's evil, you'll be devoted to evil. Paul writes, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. Look at how they behaved, the result of their conduct, and imitate their faith. John writes, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. So do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Imitate the good. Do you want to grow in some area in your Christian life? Find somebody who has that maturity. Imitate them. Uh, Paul to the Philippians writes, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Watch us. We're giving you a pattern for godly life. Do the same. Right? And eventually what happens is... Either your hypocrisy is revealed, right, because you can't imitate the faithful actions because you don't have faith, 
Or you find that your faith matures and that the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to imitate that faith from within. So children, new Christians, imitate those who are mature in the faith. Find somebody who's mature in the faith and imitate them. Hopefully it's your parents if you are children. New Christians, find, surround yourselves not with other immature Christians, but with mature Christians, right? How do they speak? How do they approach trials? How do they care for their husbands and wives in their old age? How do they, how do they just speak about their sins? You know, how do they approach the sinfulness that they, that, that they still struggle with? How are they humble? How do they pray? When do they pray? Um, how, what, what, how do they dress? I mean, it's all virtually everything that we can learn some spiritual lesson from. And, and all of us, we should live so that we may be imitated, right? Live so that you may be imitated. Unfortunate thing is your kids are going to imitate you regardless, right? So they're going to pick up the good and the bad. And, um, it just seems like it's mostly the bad, um, which is really, really discouraging. All parents get discouraged by that. I get discouraged by that when I see my children imitating my sins. Um, but, but you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to hang my head and just continue on? Or am I going to try to live in a godly way so that my kids have a better example Old dogs have to learn new tricks, right? And, and, and there is no point in your life when the Holy Spirit is not done working, right? And so you can change when you're 45, like I'll be in a few days. can't believe it. 45. You can change when you're 86, right? You can change when you're 12, 14, but you can change. And so become something that can be imitated. The student becomes like the teacher. It's inevitable. Do not become an example of evil or of, you know, evil without quick repentance. You will be an example of evil. But be an example of evil with quick repentance. Um, but be an example of Christ, of godliness, of fear of God, of, um, to all those who see you. This, brothers and sisters, is the way of Christian discipleship. This is discipleship. It is imitation. Before we feel something, before we fully understand the importance of something, before we fully grasp the intent of something, we just do it. You just do it. Right? And as we do it, we pray that our motives will be genuine and our actions will arise from a heart fully devoted to God. But that often starts with just stupid imitation. Right? And imitate what is significant in the godly. Imitate what is significant in the godly. Don't just imitate their style of glasses. Right? Don't just imitate their, uh, you know, quirks of their personality. Right? Imitate their godliness. Don't just adopt their sense of fashion. Um, adopt their, their devotion to God. Make sure you are imitating what counts, what goes beyond the surface what you know is pleasing to God and not just aesthetically, um, aesthetically whatever, you want to, whatever you want to say there. So the apostle commends Timothy for following his example. 
And what comprises that um, which Timothy follows? It's the Apostle Paul's teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. Those are all very significant things that he has followed Paul in. Paul has been an example in all those things. Timothy has gone the same way. So let's think through these. Timothy was a good student. Timothy was a good student because he followed the teaching of the Apostle Paul. He did not reject the teaching of his elder, right? Though that is what some of us are tempted to do. We, We like to be contrary, right? We all have this tendency to be curiously contrary when it comes to to learning things i always find myself in sunday school classes with that mentality you teach this and i want to be yeah but what about this i want to be the sort of contrarian rather than just being the one who says yes amen praise god i hope that sinks into my my head but we we have it we have a tendency we like to be contrary we like to be original We like to grab hold of the new and let go of the old. I think that many men go, young men go off the rails theologically because they just get bored with standard, reformed doctrine and want to go in some new direction, right? They they get bored with how the table is fenced, for instance. And so they delve into paedo-communion and become sacramentalists. And it's just a, it's a new, risky sort of thing that they can be involved in. And instead of holding to the old paths, instead of imitating their teachers, they condemn, they, they eventually condemn the simple-mindedness of their teachers and blaze new pa- trails. You know, and then Calvin becomes somebody to mock rather than somebody to learn from. And even the Apostle Paul becomes somebody to mock and not somebody to learn from. Timothy received teaching from the Apostle Paul, and he handed that on to others. He did not add his own, own section. He took what Paul gave him. He handed that on to others who had handed on to others still. Timothy was also self-disciplined. He imitated the conduct of the Apostle. He did as Paul did. He saw Paul dedicated to the church. He, he saw... Um, He saw Paul prayed, and so he prayed. He saw Paul love others, even his enemies, and so he loved others, even his enemies. And, of course, Paul was simply attempting to live like Christ in holiness. But Timothy was imitating Paul and therefore became self-disciplined. Timothy was focused on the task at hand. He imitated the purpose, it says, of the apostle. He was not aimless. He was not wandering always you know, and, and wondering what he should give himself to next. He had purpose, right? He had a purpose, a calling, a directive from God for the building up of the church. Um, Christians should never be aimless, right? An aimless Christian is just not, not studying Scripture, not pursuing godliness, right? If you're aimless, it means you're not even pursuing the, the fundamentals of the Christian faith, we have a calling to pursue love toward God and love toward our neighbors. How, how does that leave us any other time? It doesn't, right? It's comprehensive, right? Love your neighbor, love, um, love God. The, that's your purpose. There's enough packed into those two commands that it should give purpose to all of our lives. Nothing else is needed. Next, Timothy was, was committed to God. He imitated the faith 
of the apostle. If faith is the assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not seen, then the apostle Paul lived with assurance and conviction of things that lay ahead. Faith is to believe what is written by God and, and to believe that God is and will do what he says he is and will do. Pure and simple. Read what God has said and believe that he will do as he said. How can this be imitated? Isn't it the work of the Holy Spirit to, to uh, work faith? How can we imitate somebody else's faith if it's wrought by the Spirit? Well, of course it is wrought by the Spirit, but, but that too can be imitated. In the face of intellectual challenges... It means to testify to God's reality and holiness, right? In the face of temptations, it means to remember that God has presented a way of escape, right? In the face of idols, it means to remember that Christ said he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. And so it is to, it is to face situations and then interpret them through the inerrant word of God. Right to, to understand them through what God has said. Timothy saw the apostle live out his faith, and that he imitated. Faith is more than intellectual. It's more than assent. It is fruitful. It produces. And so Timothy produced the same fruit as the apostle Paul. Timothy was slow to anger. He imitated the patience of the apostle. When wronged, he did not persecute. When struck on the cheek, he turned the other also uh, to his opponent. When slandered, he did not slander in return. The patient wait upon the Lord, just as the farmer must wait to harvest his crops. Right? They wait upon the Lord. Therefore, be patient, James writes, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it. Until it gets the early and late rains, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. You will not patiently endure anything unless you remember that last phrase in James, the coming of the Lord is near. Right? Whether you go to him or he comes to you, right? Remember that. Let, let it sink into your bones and perhaps you will be able to endure little slights and even big slights against you. The Lord's near. The Lord's returning. And what does the Lord do when he returns? Everything is revealed. Everything is revealed and the accounts are taken and the wicked are declared are given to the second death, and the righteous will forever be in the presence of the Lord, enjoying a, a remade, renewed, redeemed earth for an eternity. Timothy was also a lover of souls. He imitated the love of the Apostle Paul. This doesn't mean that Timothy walked around in love with everything and everyone he saw. Rather, it means that Timothy cared for the eternal state of other people. He realized that without faith in Jesus Christ, the wrath of God abides on somebody forever. right? And so he preached the gospel to them, and that's love. He called them to believe in Jesus. He called them to find forgiveness of their sins in Christ. He didn't just affirm others right, and befriend them for the purpose of affirmation. He loved them by warning 
by preaching, by pointing toward Jesus, by sharing what is most precious to him with others who didn't know what was precious, just as the apostle had done, just as obviously Jesus had done in pointing to himself. Timothy was also a man of endurance, right? He imitated the perseverance of the apostle Paul. Perhaps, you know, that's maybe the characteristic that we remember of the apostle Paul uh, most. Uh, He had suffered continuously because of his calling, his calling to be an apostle. It was the kind of suffering, right, that would have made most men turn away from the task. You know, after... How many things how many things do I have to go through before I realize that really God has not called me to this? And that's what we would be thinking. But not the Apostle Paul. All that his sufferings taught him was this. It taught him the opposite of what we would be thinking. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them but rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Right? That's Paul, That's Paul. like, after he's been shipwrecked and after he's been stoned a number of times and lashes on the back and, and mocked and thrown out of this synagogue and in that synagogue and, and chased around and uh, generally disrespected. That's him saying, <laughs> I have Jesus. And it, all that stuff, it's, just, it's rubbish. It, it, it's, it, it's nothing. You know, bring on more sufferings if I can keep Christ. It's so easy when the treasure that you receive is so huge. The apostle's suffering only made his convictions about Jesus Christ more precious. That's perseverance, is it? When the result of your sufferings makes Jesus more precious to you. That's perseverance. If the result of your sufferings is to be like, God, why are you cursing me? You know, and, and to, to think the thoughts of Job's wife, you know, curse God and die. This is awful. Well, that's not perseverance, right? Perseverance is to suffer and only see the Lord as more precious. And, and Timothy was a man familiar with opposition. Uh, He imitated the persecution of the Apostle Paul. A slave is not greater than his master, Jesus said. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Uh, That's John 15. It's undeniable that to follow Jesus Christ does not mean prosperity in this life. It means persecution in this life. Uh, We don't believe this. We don't believe this. This is hard for Americans who are rich to believe. Right? It is undeniable that to follow Jesus Christ does not mean prosperity in this life. It means persecution. To believe that Jesus rose from the dead today earns you ridicule. Right? To believe that the Son of God was born of a virgin so that he might save his people from their sins at best earns you the rolling of eyes and scoffing. 
right? To believe that there is a God who cares about morality earns you hatred, right? This is, this has always been the case for Christians in the world. This has always been the case, and it will be the case until the gavel announces the closing of God's tribunal at the end of the ages, right? If the whole world was Christian except for one man, right, that one man would rail against the whole world of Christians. He would persecute them, right, and fulfill Jesus' teaching that Christians will be persecuted. Timothy suffered for his witness, He suffered as a pastor. He suffered as a Christian. He suffered at the hands of these false teachers in the church. He suffered at the hands of so-called brethren and sistren in the church. Right? Timothy was a man who was also familiar with pain. He imitated the suffering of the Apostle Paul. The result of persecution is suffering, whether that suffering is is inward or outward, whether it's in our emotions and just our, our, or in our bodies. We like to think that when persecution comes, we'll, we will happily endure it with our heads held high. Um, but that is being unrealistic. When persecution hits us, it, it causes agony. It causes suffering. Um, we may uh, suffer, you know, We may not suffer um, stoning or shipwreck as the Apostle Paul did as he served Jesus. Um, But, but, you know, we we read about that, and and if you put your mind on it, you begin to uh, remember that uh, they would be hearing the, the cracks of bones, right, as the stones hit them, and they would be hearing the gurgling a final breaths of a life as as they suffered shipwreck, rocks shattering bones. We may uh, we may suffer the loss of friends because of our witness, and there is nothing pleasant about not having the comfort of friendship. You know the sufferings may be different here, um, but but it's still agony. Um, we may suffer the loss of a job because of our witness, and there's nothing pleasant about wondering where we're going to feed our children in the next month. It's suffering. Um, This is suffering. And that is the common lot, Paul writes here, for Christians. That is the common lot. Jesus suffered to redeem mankind. The Apostle Paul and Timothy suffered to spread that good news. And you and I, if we are faithful, will suffer too. Paul elaborates on his suffering that it took place at three specific places, Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. We can read about those incidents in the book of Acts in chapter 13. It says this, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. So Paul is enduring that blasphemy and that fearful situation Acts 13.50, but the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Pleasant to be driven out of a city? Probably wasn't, um, you know, soft sort of driven. They were probably running for their lives. 
Acts 14, then, in, in Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. And some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled the cities of Lycaonia, Lystra, and Derbe and the surrounding regions. And then we read about Lystra. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Right? There's Paul suffering, broken bones, suffering um, because, because he's there to preach the gospel. He's there to love them with words, and they come back with him, uh, back to him with rocks. Paul mentions these particular places for an interesting point. That's where Timothy's from. Timothy's from that region where these things took place. And he was probably, therefore, very aware of what had happened, you know, by the people of his hometown. Timothy was, and, and, and then you begin to think, okay, Paul is reminding him of what happened there. And I think Paul's encouraged that Timothy is not ashamed of the Apostle Paul, right? He's not ashamed by all those things that, you know, just by the chaos and the, and the craziness that happened, that's what Presbyterians would be ashamed about. Presbyterians would go away from that and say, well, Paul, that was not decently in an order. Right? And, and, and they would be ashamed that, that he went into the next city and preached in the synagogue. And they would say, well, that wasn't very prudent, Paul. Shouldn't you have learned from the previous city that you shouldn't have gone into the synagogue? Because, dude, you're going to die. And yet, Timothy was not like that. Timothy was not ashamed of the apostles' sufferings. He traveled with him. He stuck with him. And in fact, he was willing to imitate the apostle Paul's devotion to Jesus Christ, even though it would end up with his own sufferings. Can you imagine being asked to imitate someone's persecutions and sufferings? Can you imagine? Would would any of us sign up for that job? Uh, Of course, you know you have signed up for that job. Right? You, you've, you said you would follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has told you that you will suffer. And so you have all signed up for that job. You signed up for it when you were called by Christ into his father's household. This is, this is how the people in his household roll. They just go from suffering to suffering to persecution for their witness. Right, The Apostle Peter, who ended his life crucified upside down, and, and it's said he did that because he didn't want to be cruci- he didn't want to dishonor Christ by being crucified in the same way. He wanted to be crucified in a different way. He requested it. Um, he wrote, "But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation." 
So the depth of your joy at his return, return will correspond to the depth of your suffering for his name over the course of your life now. You will, the depth of your suffering now will determine the, the, the depth of your rejoicing at his return. Um, I mean, that's, that's what we all feel. If you've been sick for a long time and then you get healthy, you're, you know, one, you, you do learn how to live with it. And so you don't really feel how sick you are. But then you get healthy and you're like, whoa, I was sick. And I didn't even realize it. And so you just like, man, feeling healthy feels so good at that point. It's like being double healthy. You know, and, and so what we suffer here will will make the peace of of our lives in the presence of the Lord and in the new earth just doubly precious to us. The depth of your joy at his return will correspond to the depth of your sufferings for his name over the course of your life. That is our lot in life. Calvin says, in vain shall we endeavor to detach Christ from his cross. In vain. That is the way of Christians. Christ suffered on the cross. We take up our cross. These sufferings are guaranteed to you. Does that scare you? These sufferings are guaranteed to you if you're a Christian. You'll find comfort. You'll find joy. You'll find rest in him. But your body will decay. Your life will be from one chaos to the next. Your, you, your plans that you made will be turned 180 degrees in another direction. And it will all be because the Lord has promised this to you. And it's all because the Lord wants you to follow in the path of his son. The Apostle Paul writes this general principle now. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The world will hate you if you desire to live godly in Jesus Christ. The world will oppose you if you desire to obey his commands. The world will turn on you and try to destroy you if you speak of his word in the public square. They will. Try it. Right? The world will disown you if you walk in the way that Jesus Christ has called you to walk. The world will be done with you and will, will want you hidden from them because you afflict their conscience. Um, Doug Wilson makes a couple qualifications here that I think are helpful on this verse. All who desire to live in a godly way will be persecuted, but not all who are persecuted are godly. Some people are persecuted because they are obnoxious. And it's so helpful to say that. Some people are not persecuted because they're, they're doing good work. They're just obnoxious, right? They're just... They just live to be uh, in people's faces and, and doing particular works that draw attention to them. And they're just obnoxious. Although, they, he goes on, although they th- like to think that it's because they are holy. But when they make this claim, they are making the same mistake as the one who would try to get dairy products from a cat. The second mistake is to soften what Paul actually claims here. It would be nice if only one faithful Christian in a thousand wound up in trouble, but that is not what Paul says. Even if we take it as a generalization and not a universal claim, it is still hard to reconcile with our deep-seated desire for peace, security, and comfort. 
In other words, he says all. It says all who desire to live a godly life. It doesn't say one in a thousand. It doesn't say 50 in a hundred. It says all. It says all. We have a tendency to think that when people react to our sins, this is my thought. We have a tendency to think when people react to our sins, they're persecuting us, right? When people respond to our sins and call us out, it's like, oh, that's persecution. No, it's for our godliness that we'll be persecuted, not for our sinfulness. Uh, Persecution arises in response to our faithfulness, not our sins. I mean, um, my husband is always persecuting me. He responds with anger every time I nag him. Right? No, no, that's not persecution. That's you sinning against your husband. On the other hand, we sometimes think that persecution will only arise for the faithful few, but that is not what the passage teaches. Those who pursue godliness in Christ will be persecuted. One way or the other, on a large scale or on a small scale, the Christian should know some kind of rejection, some kind of persecution for their faithfulness. Have you told your extended family that you will do so-and-so because you believe it's obedience to God, and then they've thought you're a fanatical lunatic? That's persecution, right? um, If you are not experiencing persecution on some level, you are not professing Christ. The professing of Christ leads to persecution. You must have the world as your enemy in some form, in some fashion. Your zeal for Christ will always produce a wicked response from the wicked, right? It's odious to them, and your zeal for Christ will just... So here's my final point, and the point at which I think the apostle is driving at here. Most people, when they see someone persecuted and suffering, most of us, most people, when when we see somebody else who is, is in the throes of persecution, they're weighed down by it, they're suffering, we assume that God is against that person. We have a tendency to assume that God is against them. They're, 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 or, or we assume that somehow they're not doing as they ought. That may have been what many were trying to convince Timothy of regarding the Apostle Paul. right? They, the, maybe the false teachers were saying, you know, look at, look at all those things that Paul went through. You think God was with him? And Timothy... While the apostle is is here teaching what Jesus taught his disciples, persecution for the pursuit of godliness is not a sign of God's being against you, but it's a sign of God being for you, right? Persecution coming against you for you witnessing to Christ is not a sign of God against you. Calvin teaches that Paul writes... um, Paul writes this, that good men may not view him with suspicion on account of the persecutions which he endures from wicked persons, as it frequently happens that the distresses to which men are subjected lead to unfavorable opinions concerning them. For he whom men regard with aversion is immediately declared by the common people to be hated by God. And be careful in this. Be careful in this. It is all too easy to look at a man who is being persecuted 
and despise him for what we consider to be his lack of prudence or his lack of winsomeness or his lack of candor and grace. It could be that his, his sin um, has gotten him into this situation, but it could also be that his faithfulness has gotten him into this situation as well. Right? There are many pastors in the PCA right now who think that faithfulness in the ministry means everybody in the church and outside of the church thinks positively of you. That's their measure of faithfulness. Right? And they also think that any, any indication of persecution is proof of God's being against you and against your ministry. They are treating other faithful pastors as the false teachers wanted to treat Paul by explaining his persecutions as indications of his sin, not his faithfulness. I'm convinced today that faithful churches and faithful ministers today, in particular those who practice church discipline, will be deemed accursed, even cultish, by those who are in fact not faithful. Churches today who practice church discipline will be deemed stricken by God, by those who don't practice it. So remember this this verse. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right? If there's a negative reaction, it may very well be you've been faithful. And the most heated part of that persecution will come from the wicked within the church. Right? Do not forget this verse. If you do, you will begin to mistake the presence of persecution with unfaithfulness rather than with what it is, an indication of God's favor. God's favor for your faithfulness. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we know these verses and our conscience is stricken in, in many different ways. We, we see that there's very little persecution because we've done very little witnessing to your name. And we've not lived godly, and therefore there's no odious odor among those who hate you. And Father, we, we have also deemed others who have been persecuted for their godly witness. We've, we've called them accursed. We've called them uh, foolish. We ask for your forgiveness in this. Father, I pray that we would remember that if we determine, if we desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, we will be persecuted. And so, Father, when the persecution comes and there's suffering and there's uh, just the embarrassment of being called out publicly and, and perhaps the losing of jobs, perhaps even physical assaults, Father, I pray that this verse would be strong in our minds and that we would remember that you have promised this for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.